Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We are on week three of our Christmas series called Open. And uh, if you weren't with us these last couple of weeks, you can always catch up on, uh, on YouTube or on our podcast page. But to sum it up for you really quick, this whole series has been around this idea of really just being open, positioning ourselves to being open for what God has for us. And so the first week, we looked at the importance of having an open heart. And we really focused in on Mary and, and looked at, at how uh, a teenage virgin girl who was uh, espoused to be married, getting this news, how that would have changed everything. And we looked at how she made a decision in this conversation with the angel to really accept and fully receive what the angel was speaking over her life. And, uh, and we, we pointed out a few practical things that we can do, that we could take out of that, to position our hearts to not just be open in a moment to what God is speaking, but to remain open. The next week, we looked at the importance of having an open mind when it comes to what God is doing. And so uh, week two, we kind of really took a deep dive into what Joseph must have been thinking and wrestling with receiving this news and how Joseph made a decision after getting a word in a dream to believe what God was saying, to believe what that angel had spoken, and, and then to act on it. And so we looked at a few practical takeaways that we could apply to our life of how we keep an open mind when it comes to what God is wanting to do. So tonight, that, that leads us up to uh, tonight's message, which I've just simply titled Open Ears. And, and as we're, we've really been focusing these last few months on, on hearing God's voice, voice I want to I wanna continue with this story, and, and we've been looking at how this couple received the news, but we're going to take a look tonight at how the news actually played out and the importance of them continuing to position their lives in a way that they could hear clearly from God and then they could be obedient to it. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to continue to read this story, and, and it's more text than we normally do in this series, but we're just really trying to to have you have a, a, a comprehensive understanding of, of the story. So to give you a little context, right before we're about to read, um, we, we learned that Caesar has issued a census. And so what that meant is that you needed to, to travel back to your hometown in order to register for the census. So we read that Joseph took his pregnant fiance Mary, back to Bethlehem uh, in order for the census. So we're going to pick it up in verse 6. It says this, When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. And there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. That night in a field nearby, uh, near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flocks. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God, and the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid. For I have come to bring good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone, everywhere. Somebody say everyone, everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by this miracle sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven, and they all praised God, singing glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. 
When the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's hurry and find this word that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they ran into the village and they found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what had just happened. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart, and she often pondered what they meant. I love the fact that it says that everybody was astonished by their words, but Mary, Mary wasn't just astonished. Mary wasn't just blown away. Mary made a decision to treasure up and to think about these things often. If you read the same story in Matthew, you get a little bit of a different perspective. And in in Matthew, you're not reading about shepherds, you're reading about wise men. And, and you read that these wise men, they, they saw a star and they received a word that a new baby king was being born. And so these, these wise men travel and they approach King Herod asking about this new baby king. And, and King Herod, being an evil and insecure leader, is, is questioning them about what they know. And they said, we're searching for him. And so King Herod gave them instructions and he said, well, when you find him, let me know so that I can bless him too. But really what he meant in his heart was, when you find him, let me know because I'm going to go kill him him because I don't want any competition for the throne. And so Herod, you know, commissioned these wise men to, to continue their search for baby Jesus. And so we read that they, they followed the star, which led them right to Mary and Joseph. And they brought all of these expensive gifts and blessed the family. And as the, the wise men then left Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, they received the word not to go back and tell Herod. So they made the decision after receiving that word to go a different way home and to not tell Herod. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 2. It says, When the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who, and all in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So he rose and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was uh, reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. You know, I want to just point something out as we've been really diving deep into every aspect of the story throughout this series and how we can, you know, read through it quickly and we can picture this pretty lit up nativity scene in your neighbor's front lawn. But really, when you take a look at, at all the aspects of what was actually going on, this is a crazy story. You know, not only was it an adjustment, to say the least, for, for this young couple to really accept and understand and receive what God was doing in their life and what he was going to do through this little baby. But now that they've both been obedient, now that they've listened to this 
unbelievable promise by God, this life-altering, life-changing promise, now as you start to see everything unfold, seemingly it seems like everything is going wrong. I'm going to be honest with you. If I put myself in, in Joseph's shoes, I could picture a little bitterness seeping in. I, I could picture myself questioning God to be like, all right, God, I accepted what you said. We've been obedient. I've been listening. The baby really has to come right now when we're in Bethlehem. And if, and if you knew the baby was going to come right now, you couldn't have worked it out that we just have a room. I mean, we, we don't have a hospital. We are, we are laying this newborn baby in a dirty feeding trough, a manger, in a stable. Like, I could picture myself being like, God, it's your son. I, I thought you would have a plan. I thought that there would be some provisions here, but, but it kind of seems like chaos at the moment. As if it wasn't chaotic enough to give birth in a stable and have to lay a baby in a feeding trough, they soon, days later, are hearing about this, this king who wants their baby's head. And so eight days after this baby is born, now you have Joseph putting his wife on the back of a donkey and taking their eight-year-old baby across a desert for 40 to 60 miles. I mean, I could only imagine the fear, the doubt, the frustration, the bewilderment of like, God, I thought you had a plan. I, I did not picture it going like this. You know, with our second baby, uh, Carter, when, uh, when Faith and I got to the hospital, we realized really quick that something was off. We, we realized something was wrong because when we walked into the maternity ward, there were ladies in the hallway on hospital beds. And I'm like, why do they not have them in rooms? And then every room we walked by, we realized that there was at least two ladies in every room. We're like, what is going on? We've been at this hospital before. And, and I, I remember walking by a utility closet, a storage closet, and there's these nurses in there, like, feverishly emptying the closet. I'm thinking, what are they doing? Like, there's so many people out here. Like, why are they emptying the closet? Come to find out, Faith and I were about to be put in this closet. So we, you know, I, I, asked, I asked the one nurse, I said, hey, excuse me, what, what, what's going on? And she said, this is the craziest night we've had here in like 20 years. Like we're setting records for how many babies are being born in 24 hours. I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> like that's not what I wanted to hear. You know, and it ended up being such, Carter ended up being such a traumatic birth for my wife. And it was, it was tough. We ended up being in a closet right up until she was really, really progressing. And then they moved us to an operating room, not even the delivery room. And then we were chilling in an operating room all the way up to like nine and a half centimeters. When then a, a lady finally gave birth, they wheeled her out and then they wheeled us in the delivery room. And then boom, Carter happened. It was chaos. And then as if that wasn't crazy enough, we didn't have much time to kind of like acclimate because there were like women who were ready to go right after us. And so they had to reel, wheel us out too quick and then stick us in a room sharing it with another family who had a huge family and who was, um, let's just say, sound challenged. They talk so loud. It's like one o'clock in the morning. It's just chaos. My wife has just been through one of the most traumatic experiences of her life. And I'm going to be honest with you, as excited as we were about having a brand new baby boy, we were upset because we were inconvenienced. That's not how I pictured it going. I pictured it being way more comfortable. I pictured our needs being met. And I got to be honest with you, I was trying to encourage my wife. My wife was pretty upset about what happened, and I don't blame her. I was upset, but there was nothing that we could do. And if you've never had a baby before, it's just such an overwhelming, surreal experience that culminates with our hospital. You know, the dad has to pull the car up to the front door, 
put his four ways on, and then you got to come up with your car seat, and you have to strap the baby in, and then you got to have a nurse come and make sure that that baby is strapped in the right way, and then escort you and the mother down and make sure that you click that car seat in the right way, and you're just so stressed out by the whole thing. Like, what happens if I fail? Are you going to take my baby? It's just, it's an overwhelming experience. And, and, and I had the luxury of the night before I was at home, I was able to make sure that the nursery was ready and that everything was good and, and that when, when Faith and the baby came home, you know, then I'd be able to provide the comfort that they needed. Then, I, then I'd be able to, I'm in control, I could do it now. Even with all of that, it was such a stressful experience for us. I sound like the biggest baby in the world after reading Joseph and Mary's story. But I'm being honest with you, it really put a damper on the experience for us. It was difficult. It was really, really difficult. When you read a story like this and you hear that these two young people are willing to have their lives completely transformed, and then as they're walking through it, they don't see the end. They don't get these verses like, and that is what fulfilled this prophecy. No, they're living it in the moment. I can only imagine this this level of frustration that, that was probably always tempting them to creep up that they had to deal with because it seemed like there was no plan. It seemed like God initiated this plan and now nothing seemingly is working out. Mary and Joseph are not superheroes. God doesn't use superheroes. Mary and Joseph are ordinary people like you and me. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ordinary. That was weak. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm ordinary. Can I give you good news really quick? God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. Mary and Joseph are ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. But here's the caveat. Not all ordinary people are used by God. God uses ordinary people, but not all ordinary people are used by God. Obedience and surrender to God is what positions you to be usable. Obeying God's voice, obeying what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you is what makes you usable, is what qualifies you to be used by God. Now, you can't really have obedience if you don't have direction. I can't obey something I don't know. So in order for there to be obedience, there needs to be some sort of direction. You can't really have direction if there's no communication. So communication opens the door for direction, and direction opens the door and the opportunity for you to be obedient. But communication with God is a choice. And let me just say, it's your choice. It's my choice. Jesus made the choice. If Jesus was cool with you getting words from a pastor or a priest, then he didn't need to come and die. But Jesus made the decision, I want a personal relationship with creation. And so I'll come and give my life so that that we can personally speak to our our people. So he made his choice. Now the choice of communication falls on you and me. Now, I can already hear the excuses creeping up because that's how I think too. Well, you know what? If Gabriel appeared to me and told me, I'd be obedient too. You know, we can so easily like chalk it up to, well, they had this crazy dream. You know, they had this crazy encounter. Do you know, these people did not have the luxury of having the completed word of God. And just in case you, you wrestle with those thoughts, can I just let you know what Jesus says about it? Jesus tells his people, it's actually better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. 
Because unlike how it's been so far, you're about to have the completed word of God and my spirit, same, re- same spirit that just raised me back to life and has been doing all this stuff, he now wants to live in you and he wants to reveal truth to you and he wants to be your guide and he's going to be your connection with the Father. So Jesus is saying it's actually better for you that it happened this way. So communication with God comes down to a choice for us. So like we've been doing these, these last couple of weeks, I want to I point out a few practical things that you and I can do to position ourselves to hear from God. Now, if you're new to this and, um, and, and you know, you're not used to, to hearing things like this, let me just say this. I know there are people who have heard the audible voice of God. I never have. I've grown up around church. I've grown up in church my whole life. I've dedicated my life to this. I've never heard the audible voice of God. But I can tell you without a shadow of doubt, God has spoken to me. I, I can tell you that, you know, so many people, you're like, I was joking around about this last week. You're like, man, God just doesn't speak to me. It's like, man, you got 4,000 pages of God's word that you haven't cracked open in four years, and you're complaining that God doesn't speak to you. You know, God's word is living, and it's active. His Holy Spirit is, is inside wanting to reveal truth to you. It comes down to a choice on our part. So let me give you f- three quick things that we can go over that I think are going to help position you to hear from God. First thing is this. We need to value God's word. We need to value God's word. I'm speaking about priorities right now. We catch a window into Mary that Mary valued the word of God. And, and, and you see that it wasn't like she just valued it all of a sudden when she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. You see that she had lived a lifestyle where she already valued God's word because that's what came out when all of this stuff started happening. Week one, we were reading about when she went to see her, her aunt Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, everything happened with John the Baptist and is prophesying over, over Mary that Mary's response was she just started singing this song of praise. And, and you can see through the words of this song that just came out of Mary, she knew the character and the attributes of who God was. You can tell by the song, by this prayer, that Mary was in tune with what the word said about God. Mary had made the decision at some point in life to value the word of God. Now, a practical thing that I want to point out to you that I keyed in on in this first, this first uh, passage that we read, I love the fact that, that as everybody was in awe of what the shepherds were saying, Mary made the decision to not just be in awe, but to treasure those things up in her heart and ponder on those things often. That's a decision. That's a decision to recognize that that what these men were saying, they were speaking this word that the Lord had given them, and she made the decision to not just hear it and be amazed in a moment, but to store that up and to reflect on it often. Do you know what I would have been pondering at the moment? Why does it smell like animal manure in here? Why is there so many flies? How come my newborn baby is sitting in a dirty feeding trough? I mean, I think that there would be so many other things that would be like competing for my focus and my attention and the things that I was stewing on at the moment. But Mary made the decision to ponder on God's word, to treasure up God's word. And that's a decision. Mary valued God's word more than her circumstance. Now you might be here and you'd be like, what? I don't value my circumstance. I actually hate my circumstance. I actually despise my situation. I, I, I despise my circumstance. Can I just tell you real quick, you give value to what you give attention to. Too many people, you give your undivided attention to what you're struggling and wrestling with and mad about and stressed out about and angry with, frustrated with God with, 
and you give more value to that thing than you actually do the Word of God. You want to hear from God. You want the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you and to communicate. You need to make the decision that this is worth it to me. That, that it is a priority for me to not take another step, to not make another decision, to not try to lead my family, to not try to accept that job offer or make this change in my life if I'm not hearing from God first. I want to value God's word in my life. I want to value what the Holy Spirit is desiring to speak to me. Once you make the decision to value God's word, that leads us to our second thing. You need to make the decision to listen for God's word. You'll never choose to listen for something if you don't first value it, if it's not a priority. But, but if you can get to the point where you say, you know what, this is important. I, I do value the Holy Spirit in my life. I need that voice louder than anything else. Well, then you can come to this conclusion that you need to listen for God's voice in your life. You need to listen for the Holy Spirit wanting to communicate with you. Listening for God's voice has just as much to do with identifying the things that need to get quieter as it does God's voice getting louder in your life. Listening for something means that you're giving attention and effort to being able to hear something. How many people know that loud noise on top of loud noise does not bring clarity? You ever, you ever go to a concert and the music is so loud, or maybe church, and... Um, you're trying to talk to the person next to you, and you get to the point where you're, you're yelling, and you still can't really, all you hear is noise. You know, for me, something so frustrating, when I'm mowing the lawn, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to just listen, hear a tractor for an hour. So I put headphones in, and, and I mow the lawn. Once that blade is engaged, it's so loud, I can still barely hear my headphones. And before I know it, I have the volume maxed out, and I still, I can't really make out every other word. And I don't even realize how loud my phone is until I shut the tractor off and then immediately feel like my ears are going to be blown out. And it's crazy that even though I had that maxed all the way out and that volume all the way up because everything else around was so loud and so distracting at the moment, I still couldn't hear clearly. I got these, uh, these free headphones for a laptop that I had to get recently. And uh, it's a new pair of Beats headphones, and they're, they're awesome. They're, they're the best. And... Uh, these new headphones have something called um, adaptive noise-canceling technology. Fancy, right? Adaptive noise-canceling technology. I want to read you the description of what this says on the website. It says, in a nutshell, adaptive noise-canceling uses tiny microphones to listen to the world around the headset and then subtract that noise from what you're hearing. The end result is a quieter experience. When you slip the beats on your ears and turn them on, you can hear everything get quieter as the noise canceling kicks in. Some of us need some adaptive noise canceling technology and decisions in our life to identify the things that have become the loudest, to identify the things that have caused the most noise, that have caused the most distraction, that have competed for our attention the most. Come on, hear me tonight when I say that noise canceling is proactive. Noise canceling is, is making it a point to begin to identify things and then making a decision to lower those things or put distance in between you and those things. You know, my son, he has a, an old phone of mine, and he'll watch YouTube Kids. And, and, you know, trying to hear it over his sisters, he'll have the volume maxed out on his phone. And I'm like, Carter, can you let the dog in? And he's like, what? I can't hear you. And I'm like, shut your phone off. You know, I handle it with way more grace than that, but... I'm like, turn your phone down. Like, you, you can't hear me because you got this blasting in your face. 
Noise canceling is proactive. We need to make the decision to, to determine what holds priority in, in what we're listening to, on, on what we're allowing to, to, to be the loudest in our lives. Because all voices, all other noise, all other distractions should fall under God's voice. Here's the crazy thing about Beats. As good as the noise-canceling technology is, it's not like you just hear silence. It's just everything else is so much more faint. So I can still hear things in the distance, but what it does is it whatever I'm listening to, it brings to the forefront. When you tune into the world, it has a way of tuning God out. When you tune into God, it doesn't tune the world out. When you tune into God, you actually have a heart for the world. Having a relationship with Jesus, having an, an intimate walk with God, listening to the Holy Spirit does not require you to be deaf to life. It just requires you to bring him to the forefront. It requires you to make the decisions and, and make it a priority to say, you need to be the loudest in my life. You need to be the voice that I turn to first. You need to be the voice that I hold in highest esteem. You need to be the one that I seek the most. Because God, your, your word is that worth it to me. So maybe you're here and you're like, so I don't have that tech. I didn't come stock with that technology in my ear. So how am I supposed to do that practically speaking? A few practical tips. The times where I'm able to communicate with God the best are the times when I, I wake up early and I start my day with communicating with God. I have this sweet spot in the morning before my brain fully wakes up and I'm distracted with life. But also when everything is quiet, hopefully all the kids are asleep still. When I can get alone with God and I'm giving him my undivided attention because the day hasn't started yet. For me, this is the advice that I give people. Now, if you have a crazy schedule and you've found something else that works for you, that's great. For me, if I try to do it at night, I'm shot at that point. My brain is like jello at that point. If I try to squeeze it in the middle of my day, something always happens and, and takes, takes that time away. For me, starting the day off and being proactive about starting your day with God so that you're not reactive when your day starts happening is huge. Not only do I like to do that, but I always like to start with coffee, but also while I'm drinking the coffee to put worship music on. I like to just, you know, take a moment and, and, and not start right out of the gate with giving God a list of my problems, but, but actually just positioning my heart to praise God for a moment, to worship God for a moment, to, to, to get my focus off of me and put it on God where it, where it belongs. So I, I, I love to do that. And then the last practical thing I'll give you, every time I spend time with God, I'm not exaggerating, every time I spend time with God, before I open the word, I say, God, will you speak to me? Holy Spirit, could you show me something? Holy Spirit, I'm discouraged right now. Holy Spirit, I'm struggling. You know what? Life is going good, but I know that I still need this. Holy Spirit, please show me something. Please, please let me be able to identify something that I could grow from, that I could learn from, that, that, that's for me this morning. I ask the Holy Spirit, I ask God every time, God, show me something. I need something. Now, I'm going to be real with you. Every time I open my Bible, I don't get a lightning bolt between the eyes. Actually, most times that doesn't happen. 
There are times where I'm really striving to find something that I can really apply to my life. Then there's times where it is so obvious, where it is so apparent, like, Holy Spirit, you just blew my mind with that. That is so what I needed to hear for right now, and it's, it's crazy. But it's this discipline, and it's this effort of valuing God's Word to not stop, to not give up, and to make it a priority, but also positioning yourself, your ears, your heart, your mind in a way where you can hear from God where you can silence everything else and and you can make sure that there is no distractions, there is nothing competing for the Holy Spirit in your life. As I close out, I'm just going to have the band come up and we're going to end it right here. This this last thing, once you value it, once you put in the effort to listen for it, we need to act on God's word. We need to act on God's word. There's this incredible thing that happens that as you're communicating with God, and it is he'll show you something, as he'll challenge you with something, as you'll you'll feel him leading you to do something. When you're obedient, there's this when you're obedient, there's this amazing process that begins to happen where there's a little bit of confidence that builds up in your faith that, man, God, like I'm so glad that you said that. I'm so glad that I heard that. I'm so glad even though I was scared, even though it was intimidating, that that I walked that out and I and I saw what you're doing and I and I saw what was happening. There's this amazing cycle that will begin to to take place that will just feel Feed your faith going forward. I love the fact that, that Joseph, in every instance where the angel speaks to him, acts right away. Acts immediately. We looked at this last week. He wakes up from the dream, and the next verse says, so he went and did everything that the angel said. You know, he didn't say, wow, that was a great dream last night. That was some pretty crazy stuff. Let me text my boys and see when we can get together and I could let them know and see what they all think. You know, let me, get a, let me get an appointment to talk with my pastor in a month and see what they, th- there was this element that he was like, I'm going to do exactly what you said. I know you said it, so I'm going to do it and I'm going to be obedient with it. And it was scary stuff. It wasn't easy stuff. At, at the moment, it didn't feel like good news. He, he had immediate obedience to what God was asking him to do. Then you see is this This whole thing starts to play out, and it seems like things aren't working out the way that they should, even though they were, that the angel continues to communicate to Joseph, and you see three more times the angel say, you need to move your family right now, and Joseph wakes up, and he does it. You need to move your family back to Israel. He wakes up, and he does it. Hold on a second. You need to go to Nazareth. You know, again, I'm just being real with you. I'm being honest. I feel like I would be tempted to be like, Really? You want me to do this again? Because it doesn't seem like there's a plan here. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see what's going on. But I have so much respect for Joseph that he valued the word of God so much that when God spoke, Joseph did. Joseph obeyed. And we have the privilege of seeing what God was doing. We have the privilege of seeing that prophecy was fulfilled. We have the privilege of seeing that it was because of Joseph's immediate obedience that God protected his family. It was for their protection when God was asking them to do all of these trying and stretching things. Joseph's obedience protected his family. It didn't just protect his family. You see through a crazy series of events, God leads wise men who Joseph didn't even know about to come and bring practical monetary gifts to help supplement the income that would have been needed by this broke couple. Joseph's obedience positioned them to receive God's provision. And then you see through this crazy series of events that they end up in Nazareth, which is fulfilling prophecy from hundreds of years ago that Jesus was going to grow up in Nazareth. 
So how many, how many parents in here, your hope and your dream will be, man, I just hope I hear from God enough that, that my family is where it's supposed to be, that, that I'm in the center of God's will for my life. Joseph's immediate obedience to God's voice positioned them to be right where they needed to be. Obedience and surrender is not one of those words that you're like, yeah, sign me up. That's me. That's what I want. But it's so necessary in life. It is so necessary to be used by God. Now, I want you to hear tonight, God has not called you to bring Jesus into the world. That was for Mary and Joseph, and that's been done. But God is calling you to bring Jesus to the world. That is a call that every ordinary person in this room has. It's to spread the good news of the gospel. It's to tell people about the difference that he's made in our lives and and what he desires to do in their lives. Nobody in here is, is called to have the responsibility of raising the Son of God. Nobody in here has the responsibility of having Jesus as a toddler. But you are called to raise your kids. You are called to keep your kids in the center of God's will. To try to position your family to be in the center of God's will. Nobody in here is, is asked to be Mary's husband and navigate that whole situation or, or to be Joseph's wife and, and trying to explain everything. And That's not your calling, but you are called to be a godly spouse to the person that you're married to. You, you are called to grow and, and allow yourself to be worked on and developed by the Holy Spirit so that you can be the godly spouse, spouse that you're going to be one day when God brings that person into your life. Man, if we want to be open to what God has for us, we need to get to the point where we can make the decision to say, God, I value your word. I'm going to listen for your word, and I'm going to obey it. Like these three, these three things are key for me to have open ears, for me to be able to receive your word, for me to be able to hear your word, for me to be able to, to have direction and clarity in my life. I want to ask you to stand tonight as we, uh, we just close out. We're going to just sing one more song. You know, I don't know what life looks like for you at the moment. We, uh, we have a prayer team that's, that's going to be standing in the back in just a second. And as soon as we start this song, if you're here and you could use encouragement, you could use someone just to listen and, you know, pray with you. Our prayer team would love to just hear you out and, and encourage you however we can and believe that God is going to work in your life or, or someone that you know. But, you know, the, the, the side benefit to Mary and Joseph's story when it seemed like chaos was, in, was just all the time everywhere, even though it wasn't, even though God had a plan, but in their shoes it probably seemed like things were falling apart. You know, the benefit of struggle is that it trained them to value God's word, to listen for God's word, and to obey God's word. So whether you're here tonight and life stinks at the moment and life hurts at the moment, or maybe life is going pretty good, I think collectively as a community, we could make the decision together to say, God, I need you to speak to me. God, I want to value your voice. God, I want to listen for your voice. And God, I want to obey your voice. 
Could you pray with me tonight? Jesus, we just, we thank you for everything that you've done for us. God, again, as we're, we're going through this series and we're celebrating Christmas, God, the, the attention for us is not on a holiday and not an excuse to give expensive presents. It's, it's a moment where we can stop and we can reflect on the fact that, that God, you sent your one and only son, that Jesus, you made the decision to, to, to be born in human flesh and to live a selfless life and to, to give yourself for humanity. Jesus, we celebrate you right now. God, we remember everything that you've done for us. And God, we thank you that you didn't just stop there. You didn't just rescue us and then leave us on our own, but, but you've sent your Holy Spirit down to earth to live inside of, of, of your children, to, to guide your children and to speak to your children. So God, we just pray tonight, Lord, that you would help bring us to the place where we could value your voice in our lives. God, I, I pray that for any of us in this room that have allowed other things to become the priority, that, that maybe even not knowing it, we've placed more value on things that we're facing and things that we're going through and, and voices that have always been there than, than your word. God, I pray that where we need it, you would bring conviction right now in Jesus' name, that we would value your voice above all others. God, as we make that decision, I pray that you would give us a clear strategy and clear steps to lower other things, to identify things that have become too loud, to identify things that have, that have attracted too much of our attention. And God, I pray that we would make the effort to listen for your voice. And Holy Spirit, give us the strength to obey. Give us, give us the supernatural ability to, to come to a place of submission and say, God, you know better than me. Lord, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And God, I trust you with my life. So I don't need to understand. God, I don't need to be able to make sense of it all in the moment. God, I trust you. God, I, I hear your word. And God, I, I'm making the decision to, to surrender to what you're saying and to obey your word. Holy Spirit, we love you so much. We value you tonight. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.